Uh, the end of the month, we're going to be having one of the finest missionaries we've ever met in our lives, incredible ministry, remarkable ministry in a 99 and one-half percent Muslim country. John Sarkar continues to plant churches, plant orphanages, plant Bible colleges, and plant a seminary. A single man, John's now in his 60s, 66. We just ask who will follow in his steps. Bill Barrick sent him to us. They had worked together in Bangladesh. And so at the end of the month, I think he's a fifth or sixth generation descendant of William Carey. His great-great-grandparents were led to the Lord by William Carey. And then the first Sunday of September, uh, Gracia Burnham. Anybody remember that name? Gracia was captured in the Philippines, and uh, she and her husband, her husband was killed. Uh, she survived, and uh, Gracia is going to tell her story of survival and why God took her to the Philippines, and Muslim Filipinos captured her and her husband. I forget how long they were on the run, but she's going to be here in person and tell us her story. So I think you're really uh, in for a treat. I want to speak on uh, God's game plan for perilous times. We're living in them, and they're not brand new to us. I like to think they're brand new, but according to 2 Timothy 3, we've been living with them for 2,000 years as a church. Uh, it hasn't been that hot in America because God, for over 250 years, has just given us a canopy of protection of liberty, and uh, when you have pilgrims fleeing monarchies that were tyrannical, when you had uh, many French Huguenots uh, fleeing France and the uh, British be going back and forth between Protestant, Catholic, persecution, no persecution, they came here, whether you like it or not, and don't buy all the revisionists rewriting all the books, they came, could we go somewhere, even if it's a wilderness, and practice our faith uh, and not be persecuted? And God, for over 250 years, has done that. It's been remarkable. But not all is safe in all the world these 2,000 years. And Paul, all the way back in uh, about 50 A.D., he writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, and Timothy is a pastor at Ephesus. And Ephesus is a dangerous town. They had an idol-worshiping business there dedicated to Diana. Uh, Paul gets arrested while he's in Ephesus, uh, Acts 19. And uh, he starts writing to this young pastor that struggled with timidity at times. And he says four things I want to look at in chapter 3, through four, five. I'm going to move. It's not going to be a verse by verse me try to go deeper and drier than anyone's ever done. I'm going to just, I want you to get the flow of what he's saying, that he starts out and he names about 21 perils of the age, 21 things. And we'll look at that and go through that list and see. And then he uh, he mentions that a part of the age is the church in this age will be persecuted. He never said it would be prosperous. And if it is, so be it. Wonderful. But there's never been any hiding from Christ on to be godly in a pagan world can be dangerous. And so he mentions there are persecutions that come with people who profess the name of Christ. You may have never suffered that. You're just mad that someone didn't shake your hand. You know, we're wimpy. But God's church has suffered throughout history. And then he says something, I think, a marvelous compliment that we look quickly at parents in the perilous times. What a mother and grandmother were able to do to a child called Timothy. 
And finally, he tells pastors what they ought to be doing. And all of you want to hear that, don't you? Tell him what he ought to be doing. Uh, just read a book lately, Dangerous Calling, that says present-day pastoral requirements are 21 things that the pastors have to do if, for boards to call them. And I'm so glad I started this church. I didn't have to go through that. Let's uh, look at the perils that he, and it's a quick list here, the symptoms of the last days. And by the way, when did the last days begin? A, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 says, children, it is a last kind of hour. Wait, but that's 2,000 years ago. It's a last kind of hour. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things have drawn nigh. You hear that? The end of all things have drawn nigh. 1 Peter 4, 7. What should we do? Build a fallout shelter. Move to Montana. Hide. And he tells them what they ought to do. James chapter 5, the judge is standing at the door and he's ready to come through. You better pay your workers what you owe them. You better be honest in financial dealings. And in chapter 5, he says, the judge is at the door. That's 2,000 years ago. So we've been in the last kind of hour for 2,000 years. Do you think we're in the final hours? For 2,000 years, the church has been thinking any moment Christ could come, any moment the judge could step through the door, and he could have, and he could even today. We don't know. We don't know. But we've been in final days. And what will these final days be like? But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Now, when a person is totally in love with himself, it's going to be hard on you. It's hard to live with narcissistic, hedonistic, self-centered, self-esteem, I am a God kind of people. And we actually have theologies going around, I am a God. Get into the word of faith and hear Kenneth Hagin. I am a God. No, you're not. There's one God, and he's not made of dirt. Our God is above the heavens. He's above us. We want to bring him down, but we need to be brought up. Lovers of self. And when you love self, you love money. It's the root of every kind of evil, it says. Proud, arrogant, abusive, blaspheming. He goes on to say, they're disobedient to their parents. Have you ever heard of so much of that? I just had a man call me here the other day. He said, my 17-year-old boy and I had it out today. Yeah? He said, it's kind of bad. We wound up wrestling on the floor in the front room. Kind of upset my wife. We had a physical fight. I'm a deacon in a church. My son says he's a Christian. He's left. He's been gone for three days. What should I do? You don't want to know what I said. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. And that word ungrateful means irreconcilable. You can never work out anything with them. It's more than thanks. It's a word that, that they admit to no truce. It's never over. I saw guys that way uh, in school. If you had a fight with them, no matter if you won or lost, it would never be over. The next day, they'd come back. You just never stop. You're just a little bulldog. Just keep coming back. Can't be reconciled. It's not over. It's not over. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, which is a word, listen to this word, very simple, ah, storke. You hear that? The word storke means family. And it simply says, without family love. 
without love of kin, of one's own children, of one's own family, and they will be without natural, they don't even love their own because they're so in love with themselves. Unappeasable, slanderers. These are people that are always uh, dividing. They promote quarreling. They like to always have an issue. Let, let's, come on, let's have a fight. Let's find something to disagree about. You can't just be marching step. I, I'm not going to be a part of the herd. I disagree because you're disagreeable. And there's personalities like that. You see, I'm just saying, yeah. They ruin every relationship if you have to put up with them. Incontinent, meaning no control. Brutal, they're not tamed. They're, they're savage in their behavior. Haters of good, no law can control them. They hate What's good? Even good law, good rules, they hate it. Betrayers, and Paul was seeing this, it was used of those who would betray others, break oaths, and sell out. They would sell you out. And, of course, this was happening even in the church, turning in fellow believers and seeing them get killed. They were reckless, rash, and that once again, were people that with quick decisions and no forethought, and t -t -t -t, they would stir up, keep they, they were rash in their decisions, rash in their answers, and just characterizes the people of the age. Conceited, which literally meant to fill up with smoke. They're full of self-importance, full of inflated views of themselves. Humility, I love what C.S. Lewis said, humility comes to not even think about itself. Pride always thinks of the other person, and this is the way it does. I'm better than you. Because pride is never content to be as good as you. You've got to be better. Pride is a, you know, you, go, you think you've got a nice house until you see someone with one better. Then discontent sets in. Ooh, you know, we need to upgrade our house. Well, man, you were happy before we visited. Don't take your wife to visit people with nice houses. <laughs> Keep them contented. Keep them poor. Keep them oppressed. No, but, you, you know, you've got contentment because pride feeds on comparison. I'm better than you. I, I'm more right than you. Wait, and Lewis says, the proud man is a man that ceases to even think about himself. But humility always esteems other people better than oneself. That's Romans 12, 12, 3. Humility always elevates other people. Pride always pushes them down. You know when you're humble, when you quit thinking about writing a book on it, you just learn to forget yourself. That, that, that's the best answer. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There was a book written by a Neil Postman several years ago called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Amusing Ourselves to Death. Is it not amazing how much pleasure, amusement, every hour we try to pack into our lives? I mean, I have to tell myself, uh, Carolyn's great at it. Don't turn on any music. Let's just have it quiet. No, I got to hear music. I don't. I like it quiet. And look at our kids with all these devices. I'm for a moratorium for all young people under 19, no devices for one month. <laughs> then they have to talk. They have to talk to your parents. I just saw an interview with a couple that they text each other in the house. They're married, but they text. And, and they were texting, not this scene, this is on TV. They were texting while they were in bed. 
And then in verse 5, he said, they have empty religion. They keep religious, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. They're great, I am this, I am that, but they live like the devil. They don't have a religion that can change their life, but they've got a religion. Uh, I, I've been witnessing to one person, I can't get very far with them because they've got their religion already. Do you know what I mean? That they're already in good standing because they've signed up here. And has it changed your life? He said, they have this appearance of godliness, but said, avoid such people. And then he says, these people are not only have a powerless religion, there's a bunch of teachers that creep into household and capture weak, vulnerable women, burdened with sins, no telling what those sins were, and they lead them astray, take advantage of their passions, their vulnerability, their weakness, and they use them. They become sexual. They, they enslave them. They take their money. And they're all doing it in the name of religion. Religious teachers always check out false teachers where the money is and what they're doing about sex. False teachers will always be, come and change morals, and they always want your money. Don't, don't be fooled. And he goes on, they're always learning, but they never come to the truth. But my, they, they're always learning. And they're like Janies and Jambres who opposed Moses. These were the uh, uh, Egyptian magicians that opposed Moses before Pharaoh, and they threw down their rods, and it turned into a snake. And they're taking on Moses. He's not a spokesman for God. He's not authority of God. And so these are mocking true men of God, true biblical authority. And they're, they're making fun of it. They're men of corrupt minds. They're disqualified in the faith. And they're corrupting the church wherever Paul went. They'd follow up false teachers. And we've got them all over the country, all over the world. Want your money, might want your wife. You better be careful. Full of religion, powerless. No change. They're just in the religious racketeering business. And he said, these will characterize the times, Timothy. You've got to be on the alert. You've got to be on the watch out because they're perilous times. And this will characterize the pagan world in which you're planting a church. And you must beware. This is the way the pagans are living. It's the way Americans are living without God. They're, they're in the trap of these perils. Now, the church has been planted in such a world. And he said, I want you to make it in the world. I want to keep you in the world. But no, these are the attitudes, the lies that we are living with every day. And then he goes on to say, by the way, Timothy, you know it's cost me something to be an apostle. I've been persecuted, and he starts telling him, and I'm moving right through the text. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystria. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and, be, and being deceived. But you've learned from me, and you firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and he talks about you learned it from a suffering apostle. The credentials of the church today is where you graduated from seminary. Nobody asked me to show my scars. I don't have any. Do you? The book of Acts church did. I said a few weeks ago that Eusebius said during church persecution, 
especially under Diocletian. He unleashed, he unleashed 10 persecutions on the church, killed thousands of our brothers and sisters. And uh, the mark of a true pastor in those days was they bore in their body scars. Paul said in Galatians 6, I bear in my body the stigmata of Christ. I've been wounded. I actually have actual wounds I could show you where I've been stabbed, beaten, and I've often wondered what his face looked like. He's been called an ugly little Jew. I wonder how you would do if you were stoned at Derby. How would your back look like if you'd been beaten three times with 39 stripes? Can you imagine? Uh, the Romans actually knew how to beat you to death, that he even survived 39 stripes. Three times he did this. One time stoned, shipwrecked, and held onto a log in the Mediterranean for three days and three nights. Let out of a city over the city wall in a basket that he may escape. Persecution, stonings, spitting, ridicule, thrown out, thrown over. Timothy, you learned your faith from me. I was the chief teacher in your life. It wasn't my Cadillac that I showed you. I showed you my scars. I showed you what the gospel was worth. I would even suffer for it as I have. I was converted, you know. The gospel was planted in me by a wonderful preacher named Stephen that I consented to a stoning, and I held the garments of those stoning him. I watched a man die in the faith, and I heard him say, Father, don't, don't charge it to these men. I, I, I was first witnessed to by a martyr of the church. Would the gospel get known in West County based upon us and our courage? Are, are we in perilous times and supreme court blasphemous decisions? Will we retreat? Will we hide? And I have felt, I've felt both anger. Sometimes you, you want to fly, get away. But it's easier to curse the darkness than it is to light a candle. Curse the Supreme Court. So what? Nero's going to kill the writer of this book. This preacher was beheaded for the gospel. Did you hear me? He was decapitated. The greatest preacher to the Gentile world, this little Jewish man that God saved on the Damascus Road, I will seal my life's work in the Mamertine prison, and I will obey the orders of Nero, and I will walk to my decapitation. When's the last time a pastor in West County was stoned, whipped, or imprisoned for the gospel? In China, the communists said, we will gather up every house church pastor that we can find. The state churches were eliminated. Nothing could be in uh, the main cities. And of course, they went underground, the house church movement. But then they would send spies, and they begin to capture them. Thousands of them were in prison. Dave Ekman goes over there now, and he keeps meeting these house church pastors that remember Mao, and they went underground. And the story of the Chinese church is how many of our pastors were killed? How many of our pastors were killed? Iran, I've got an Assembly of God man that tells me about the Iranian pastors being killed, those beheaded in Egypt, all over. They say the 20th century saw more Christian martyrs than any other century. Guess what happened? By the time any liberties came to China and the bamboo curtains started coming down, the church had exploded while all the pastors were in prison. So Howard Hendricks said, the great principle of church growth is imprison all the pastors. <laughs> Maybe the church will grow. Would this church grow if all the pastors were put in prison? 
Would it grow? Would it grow based on you? You see, most churches, the people are just simply customers. They're not the propagators. They come to be served. Do something to me. Sermons look bad today. Oh, short, too long, too this. Why don't you quit being a customer and become a disciple? Why, when, when do you get in the game? When does it start falling on you to share the God? Well, I, I don't think the Word was taught too good today. What, what are you teaching? Well, I, they haven't asked me. Who said we need to ask you? Do you know how to teach? Do you have a garage? Do you have a house? Do you have a burn? I said a burn. Down here, I can't be quiet about it. I was active at a Bible college, and I went from there to Fresno to go to another seminary, and man, I miss everyday teaching, and I was so burnt out, I couldn't even read a book for three months. But uh, the burn started coming back. I wanted to teach, I wanted to teach. I started teaching Stan Smith after I led him to the Lord. Guitar player, sang at a redneck, oaky bar down in Tulare. About 6'6", six, six, came to Christ. Guess what? I don't care where you throw me, if there's any people around, I want to bust out teaching the Word. I don't need to be on the payroll to teach the Word. And I don't need you to vote me in something. He told me to teach, and he didn't ask me to get your approval. I have been commissioned. Have you? I said, have you? Whatever. What you're doing for Jesus. And Paul said, Timothy, you learned your faith from a beat up and about to be killed teacher. But you know I taught you the truth. And then... Let's just pick up from persecution, parental influence. Notice what he says in these perilous times. He says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to describe those writings. Scripture, breathed out by God, teaching, reproof, correction, training. He says, but look in chapter 1, he says in verse 5, chapter 1, 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Turn back to Acts 16. Notice when Paul meets Timothy, he was already a believer. Paul didn't lead him to the Lord. Look at Acts 16. We get a little bio of Timothy. Paul also came to Derby and to Lystria. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. We never, ever hear of his father, whether he's a believer or not. So let's say a, a mother that, that's in the faith and her mother had become a believer too. So two Jewish women, daughter marries a Greek man that we never hear of him coming to the faith. He's the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystria and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they knew that his father was a Greek. And as the son of a Greek, he didn't have to be circumcised. But if you're going to go among the Jews, they would consider you ceremonially unclean unless so for the purpose of evangelism and going among Jewish people, he was circumcised. I wonder who led him to the Lord. I wonder where he got his teaching. Where You know what I taught you was true, Timothy, because you had already sat at the feet of Grandma and Mama, and they had taught you the Scriptures. Parents, I'd like to say something to you about perilous times. 
I wouldn't trust the church to do for my kids what you won't do. Well, our, the youth group is a little ragged, or they're not quite. Would your children be able to say in adulthood, I learned the scriptures from a little child because my mama and grandma invested it in me? What is our homes teaching in perilous times? We know the curriculum is now going to have this gender thing. It's going to hit California big time. It's going to be in the literature. If your kids are in public school, it's not going to be just sex education. It's going to be so much gender mixed up identity. It's going to be all over the place. Because you don't know what the teacher, you know, you can hire the transgender to be your public school teacher to teach your fourth grader what sexuality and sexual identity ought to look like. And we can cuss the public school. I think of Marguerite Odling, my land, for over 50 years, poured her life into Christian education to rescue kids from the cesspool of California public education. The apostate all the 60 kids on drugs became the school teachers. So be stupid and naive. But I ask you, who's doing the teaching in your home? TV? iPads? Do you have enough power, dad, dad, to turn off all the interference? For I've often quoted to you William Bennett. I heard him at Dallas. I was at a Dallas seminary, pastors meeting, thousands of preachers there. And William Bennett then was the czar of public education for America, devout Catholic and a brilliant mind. And I'll never forget that one line he said, men tell your parents that all they're getting to do is to feed and clothe their children for the culture is kidnapping their soul every day. The culture is kidnapping your child, and if they buy the culture, they'll be damned and lost. Now, I ask myself, how many kids in this church are learning the Word of God at the foot of their mother or at the foot of their father? Anyone's attend this church is sick and tired of me referring to my dad, my dad, my dad. I've started a list. I've borrowed from my brothers and my sisters. I've got something like 40 L.J. Howard lines that we've remembered. Hit over and over and over and over because he couldn't be quiet about the Bible, and we never had family devotions. Didn't know what a family devotion was. I never remember in my life, set out, we're going to have family devotions, act excited. <laughs> no, no. You don't want to know where family devotions happen? Had a 56 Ford pickup. And we riding at the church. As soon as you got in the car with LJ, he started either singing or quoting you a verse. And I want to tell you, when he's feeding you and he's driving the car, you had a captive audience, and I did not have an iPhone. Daddy, I'm on the phone. <laughs> yeah, I'm, he's saying something, but I can't hear it. Go ahead, honey. Uh, let me show you what he would have done. <sighs> Grab the phone. Open the door. No, no, no. Why are you abdicating? Why are you abdicating? Why have you shut up? It's no time to shut up. Don't count on the youth department. Don't count on me. Count on you. If we can get you involved in your home, they're your children. It's their souls at stake. Jason told me one time, I'm not trusting the youth group to shape my kids. God gave me my kids for me to shape. That's why they're in such bad shape. <laughs> not, 
No, I mean, no. I mean, he, he's trying. It's for me to shape them. The youth group, the church supplements the home, but it can never be a substitute for the home. We want to add. We want to help you, but we're no substitute. No, no. We, I went to terrible churches most of my life. I'm not kidding you. We went to small places. No Christian ed department. I mean, we had this kind of Christian ed department. Pull the curtain over. The adults are being taught here, and us kids are behind this curtain. They didn't even have flannel graph. You just heard a lot of boring teachers, unless we were blessed to get my sister who could tell a story. No, 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 no. What's our homes become? Internet's in there. Oh, they're on the computer. Do you know what they're looking at? Do you know what they're hearing? Their soul is being kidnapped while all you do are watching football games, and you know you can't hardly do a (laughs) push-up. What you need to do is do some push-ups and quit watching and cussing the guys that didn't catch the ball. Will you fight for your own in perilous times? Or will you just act like I'm helpless because the school and the tech and the neighbors are all so bad, and so are you? To do nothing is not to care. To do nothing is not to care. Oh, would to God we had a revival of the home and of parents that could turn off all the trash and act like they're controlling it. Dad, are you paying the bills? Are you, are you still the man of the house? Are you the wimp of the house? God give us men. I look at so many churches, so many in different places, the only one that attend are women. But let me tell you, women, you're powerhouses for God if you're teaching this book to your kids. Amen. Lois, thank God for Lois. Thank God for Eunice, two Jewish women with this Gentile that could be a, an idol worshiper. We never know. I don't know what his father was like. Maybe he came to the faith. And we, we could have told Eunice, get a divorce, but Paul said, don't get a divorce. If they consent, continue to live with them. Remember that? Parents, your kids need you. Don't count on anybody else doing it. They need you. And if God can use a mom and a grandma, what could he do with a mom and dad and a bunch of other family? I have to say, if you're in a family tree where there's more, uh, I think, of Galvin's, you've got the grandparents, you've got the parents, you know, and you, you get in here, here at Grant's got his grandmother, has got his mother. You're blessed to have any in the family tree. You know what I found out? Many people in our church are our first generation. They don't know anything about devotions. They grew up around booze. They grew up around fighting. They grew up around drugs. They don't know anything about how to have a Christian home. Could you show them how? Could they learn to impact their kids? Well, time's running. Give me, I don't want to lie, give me seven minutes. Okay. Uh, let him pick, let's pick on the pastor. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his peering and his kingdom, in light of the fact you're going to be judged, Timothy, and in light of the fact that Christ is appearing any moment, I'm going to charge you. I'm giving you a command. I'm not asking you. I'm charging you. Number one, preach the Word. That's what pulpits are supposed to be doing. And this is not a good day for preaching. Uh, We're being told you don't read the literature. You don't know. We're being told people can't take preaching. Uh, Kids have grown up on videos. I'm already broke the rule. I've gone over uh, 35 minutes. People can't listen that long because they're Americans. They can't concentrate over 18 minutes is the average. So I've already, most of you are asleep, and you've already called the restaurant. You've texted. See, I didn't see you do it. And you got your reservation. Don't kid me. And, and you, you've got a puppet you keep there. It makes it look like you're awake. No, no. 
No. Preach the word. And, and that means the word preach simply means to proclaim it with authority. And the idea was it was used, Russo was the word, to announce the coming of a king, to announce, uh, it's like John the Baptist, here comes the lamb, you're announcing. Here, I work for the king, announce, here comes the king. So it is not a discussion, diplomatic, uh, no, no. Uh, announce the king's word. Announce God's word. You don't invent the message, you declare it. You don't invent it, you declare it. You're the mailman, you don't write the letter. That's a little deep for some of you. <laughs> you, know, you get a bill from Sears, you don't go out and cuss the uh, mailman. He didn't bill you, he delivered the message. So some Sunday morning said, Woo, he's sure up, he's uptight today, isn't he? Well, maybe the text was uptight. <laughs> Get mad, hit your Bible three times. Don't stone me. I'm not that big a threat. Because I'm just as convicted and just as wrong as you many times. Four fingers towards you, you know. It's supposed to be that way, so anyway. I don't have a sense of direction. <laughs> Preach the word. Then he qualifies it. Be ready in season, out of season. Let me ask you, when is it the right season for preaching? All season. Because I never know when it's in or out. When it's convenient, when it's inconvenient. It was used of a soldier staying at your post no matter what. Preach the word. That's the only reason I've lasted this church. God gave me a bunch of people in this place that you love the Word, and you put up with me preaching it. Thank you. you. It's a compliment on you. If you didn't love the Word, you wouldn't have stayed and served and given like you have done these years. There's a bunch of people in this church that love the Word. If you don't, we hope you get addicted. I hope you get we want to hear what God says. They're not asking me to do a song and dance and entertain you and the latest political update. We need to hear from God. We need to hear from God, not just everybody's opinion. God doesn't have an opinion. God has the truth. Whatever he says is true. And he'll straighten me out. And he'll straighten you out if you'll listen and do it. Amen. You don't handle the word. It's supposed to handle you. It take you right by the throat. I'm talking to you, Howard. That's what the danger of being a preacher is. You're so busy telling people how to live, you quit living it. Because you're the expert telling folks how to live. No, I tell you, I, I, this thing's a mirror to me. No, you don't want to know what all is wrong with me. But he's always chiseling, chiseling. I thought I'd be totally sanctified by now. Look at you, 80 years old, it's still a mess. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. And once while I'll get someone and say, I don't believe what you're saying. I said, I didn't tell you, you had to come. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. Well, show me the verse. I, I don't I don't buy this. What do you want to hear? I want this, I want that. Well, th there's a lot of markets out there. As for you, always be sober-minded. And that means clear-headed, able to think. It was used of not intact, intoxicated, but he's not saying don't be drunk. He, he's giving the result. You can make sound decisions. You, you think soundly. And then he says, endure suffering. Wow, why does he keep bringing that up? Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. We haven't announced what we're doing in September on home studies because we're wrestling with what subject. Sean has been talking about oikos 
And oikos is simply a Greek word for household. We want to present it to you. We'll do it. We might start in September. One of our biggest challenges around here is not just deeper Bible studies, but it's called evangelism. Everybody believes in it, just nobody wants to do it. I was just reading about the black churches in Oakland this morning. Did you read that in West County Times? Black churches in Oakland have lost, I forget how many thousand in the last 10 years because Oakland housing uh, is going up. The rent costs so much. And many blacks are moving to, of course, they've moved to Hercules. Many moving to Antioch, Pittsburgh, uh, Brentwood, Oakland. They've moved, and they'll try for a while to drive back to Oakland because that's hometown for them. That's where they may have been saved, family grew up. And they talk about the losses that black churches are having as their members are moving to the suburbs. Well, across the United States, all churches are averaging losing 2 to 5% a year. Just attrition. Look at the people we've had die recently, people who visit us, whatever. Unless we reproduce, do you think this church will continue? It can't. Who are you evangelizing? I'm not an evangelist by gift. I don't know that Timothy was. He was a pastor. But he was told to do the work of an evangelist because, you know, it's easy to do to curse the people of the culture without evangelizing them. Why, you dirty, low-down, self-loving, money-grabbing, brutish kind of people. And Paul could tell to Timothy, this is where God planted the church among these kinds of people. God actually loves sinners. The church doesn't. Maybe. But I thought we're supposed to love what God loves. God so loved the world, not the system, the people perishing in the world. Did you know that if I tested you and myself, we'd all get an F in evangelism? Spurgeon used to say this. He would ask a young preacher in his college, who have you led to Christ recently? And if they said no, he said, you cannot be a called preacher. And guess what we measure, guys? Where did you go to school? Do you know Greek? What's your knowledge level? Wait, wait. wait. You're leading anybody to, no, well, well, man, we're not all evangelists. Well, I guess we'll have to wait for God to give us another Billy Graham. Timothy, preach. And boy, if you're in a conservative and you're in the MacArthur crowd, oh, yeah, we're big for preaching, and I'm all for it. I'm from that strand. I, I, I didn't go to get it from MacArthur. I got it from the Bible, hung out with Dallas boys. They ha- happened. I heard him all the way to church. I think he knows how to preach. How that? How's that? What about your Bible study? If we gave you a home Bible study, would any unsaved people be invited? What is in your heart and schedule? And as a whole, if it's mine, it's zip. I'm asking God to help me quit living in disobedience to that charge because we don't deserve to be blessed by God if we don't do what he says. Go disciple the nations. Well, you got to first lead them to the Lord before you can teach them. I want to give a model. We're going to be working on it. Go, grow. And I think that's been our model kind of a little bit. Go, that means in evangelism, grow. And why did we all stop there? I just want another Bible study, another Bible study, another Bible. And that's all right. We ought to be studying the Word. I'm all for that. Don't tell me about I, I taught salvation. I, I teach Timothy. I, I think I teach. But do I evangelize? Do you? Who have you brought even to church? But he didn't say bring them to church. He said evangelize them. Lead them to Christ. And I think that's the great challenge before us. Because unless we add about, they say, we heard a lecture by Tom Mercer who said unless 25 to 30% of the church attendance on Sunday is new attendee visitors, 
you can't reproduce. Well, we don't have that. Here you are, the both services combined. And this is why we'll go back to two services. Everybody wants one. I do too. It's easy. I, I sleep in, preach once, and get paid the same amount. <laughs> Nobody's going to pay bigger prices than the music ministry. Hey, we have to show up here a lot earlier than you. But if we don't make any, do you see, where could you sit? Where, where, where could you add another 100 people? Look around you. I said, well, too bad. I know where my chair is. Don't be getting mine. <laughs> Bye, George. I pay rent on it. No, we don't pay pew rent here. <laughs> do we want to make room at the table? Well, well I'm, I'm not sure we do. You know, they may dirty up the place. Yeah, they might. What do we really want God to grow this church through us? That's a challenge that's coming. We'll be looking at it in the month. But that's why we haven't lined up any bunch of home study. We're figuring out, can we do the Great Commission? I want us to go, grow, go. You ought to learn the word, so we repeat the cycle. We go to evangelize. When's the last time you led someone to Christ? Do you know how to lead someone to Christ? Why haven't you? We are in perilous times. We need parents on duty. We need pastors to quit just being deeper and deeper, but obey the verse. Do we have anything in our heart or agenda that tells a lost sinner, we love you, and we want to show you how you can come out of your pagan lifestyle and come to Jesus Christ, and God will save you just like he saved us. I hear two amens. You self-righteous Pharisees, you were lost once. He'll save them just like he saved you. And some of you, we hope, are saved. Okay. I'm done for now. It's over. You made it. Go ahead.